that triathlon show for a ninety. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we have another Q&A. Last week, we had a Q&A specifically about off-season training, and today we go into some more general questions related to training, coaching, and performance. And I want to remind you that if you want to make sure that you get the opportunity to submit your questions for future Q&A episodes, then please follow Scientific Triathlon HQ on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash newsletter. I also try to, of course, put out the requests for questions in the actual podcast episodes themselves, but the problem is that sometimes I record episodes uh, quite far in advance and uh, I might not have the full schedule for, let's say, four or five weeks later. So so it's not always possible to get in those requests here in the episodes. But when I can, I, of course, try to do that as well. But yeah, if you can, follow us on Instagram and the newsletter. And uh, that's your best avenue for seeing those requests for questions. Also, another quick piece of housekeeping is that we have had one uh, room open up for our Mallorca training camp in April 2024. Uh, this accommodation is a suite so it has a minimum occupancy of two people which means that it uh, might be ideal for a couple or two friends that want to join the camp together or actually three friends or uh, or three people but even if you're interested in joining the camp solo you can just email me and if there are more people in the same situation as you then there might be an opportunity there to uh, put you together with somebody else who who is looking for to join the camp but also is uh, a solo camper so to say so email me whatever your situation if you're interested in joining the camp at michael at scientific for more information and uh, they, it's first come first serve basically so uh, it's best to be quick as this is the only room that we have available otherwise the camp is sold out and we will only have more slots if we have cancellations but if we do i will uh i will announce that on the podcast so you get the chance but it's best to not count on that and try to get in now if you have any interest still of joining the camp now uh, let's thank our sponsors precision fuel hydration they help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools education and a patented sweat test you can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate sodium and fluid intake and you can also book a free 20 minute video consultation chat for your plan with the athlete support team i have used their entire range of products for a long time and i think they're absolutely brilliant and you can get 15 percent off your first order by using the code tts23 on precisionfuelhydration.com and thank you to form the form smarts and goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training right on the goggle lens including splits pace stroke rate and heart rate this means that you can execute your swim workouts better and uh, get a better idea of your ability to hold certain paces and stroke rates and understand when and why you start to slow down the best thing is that you can see and interpret this data in real time in the session so it's actually actionable and can help you right then and there also especially if you're swimming solo it adds some more fun and engagement to swim training which might make you look forward to your swim sessions in a completely different way you can get 15 percent off the goggles with the code tts15 on forumswim.com forward slash tts now without any further ado let's get into this week's q a 
So the first question that I have here is from Oliver, who asks, my question is related to base training. Would you recommend always running your intensity sessions as hard as possible for the allotted time? For example, for a one times 20 minute tempo effort, should I go as hard as I can for 20 minutes or should I just maintain in the middle or low end of my tempo range? I'm unsure if there is benefit to working harder or just sitting in the middle of the allotted zone. Thanks in advance. Uh, all right, thank you, Oliver, for your question. This is a very common question, I would say, actually, and, and a very common uh, cause for confusion, especially among athletes that are a bit newer to the sport. Uh, it's not a question that I would say is related to, uh, you say, base training. I, I, I interpret that as the off-season training. I don't think it's specific to any given time period of the year. I think this uh, question is relevant year-round, and the answer would apply similarly year-round. But uh, generally speaking, if we just first think about the question, should you go as hard as possible in your intense sessions? The answer is that it depends. It depends on things such as the goal of the session, uh, the risk-benefit ratio going all out versus holding back a little bit, and it depends on what's on your schedule in the next few days, and, and a few other things as well. But the most important one is definitely the goal of the session. So if we look specifically at your example with a 20-minute tempo run, uh, first we need to discuss the terminology here a bit. When you say tempo, cyclists and triathletes will generally use the word tempo or the term tempo to describe zone three in a five zone system so for example for a relatively fit amateur runner that would be around marathon pace or so runners on the other hand would often use the term tempo uh, to describe what we might call zone four in a five zone system so a, a pace that a fit runner could hold for let's say 10 kilometers to 10 miles in a in a race so I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think that actually sometimes I think that we should just scrap all talk about zones and all talk about tempo and threshold and sweet spot and what have you and just readjust our dictionary to talk about things like 5k race pace, 10k race pace, half marathon pace, marathon pace, or the equivalent effort. So 5k effort, 10k effort, half marathon effort, and so on. 5-minute power, 20-minute power, 60-minute power, those sorts of things. I think that that would be a whole lot uh, more clear and unambiguous. But back to your question, if we assume that you talk about tempo in more of that traditional running sense, so it's basically your 10k to 10-mile race pace, if that is the purpose of the workout to work uh, to work in that in that speed range, then that's what you should do. You shouldn't go all out because then it's a it's a different session. If you end up doing a twenty minute all out effort, that's basically a VO two max session, which is not a bad thing at all. But but it's very different from what you set out to do, which was to work more on the the top end of your sustainable pace. So you have done a completely different session with uh, with yeah different adaptations, different load, different recovery profile potentially so so be, basically when you set out to do a session you have to know not just what is the duration that you're going to work for or the, the interval setup is it five by eight minutes or one by 20 minutes or three by 15 minutes you also have to have have a good clear idea of the specific intensity target and that doesn't necessarily have to be an exact pace or exact heart rate but at least am i working at my 10k race effort or my marathon race effort or my 5k race effort so in some way you have to have an intensity target that you're following whether that's based on on pace or or heart rate and an rpe and and if you're using 
uh, pace and heart rate then also it's important to keep in mind that it shouldn't be just one number necessarily it should be a range because every day is slightly different some days you feel better some days days you feel uh not so good but you can still achieve very similar outcomes of a workout by working in more or less the correct range so let's say that your normal 10k pace is four minutes per kilometer so a 40 minute 10k then the range that you're working in for a 10k pace workout could be let's say 355 to 410 so you could be slightly faster or you could be right at it or you could be a little bit slower than your normal 10k race pace and and that all of those outcomes the entire range there would be perfectly fine for for that workout but anyway the thing the thing that you have to consider is that you're never trying to maximize your your performance or your adaptations for just one workout because at the end of the day one workout no matter how good it is is not going to help you improve very much what's going to help you improve much is to stack workouts week in week out month in month out year in year out and do many good workouts but you don't have to do any singular epic workouts necessarily so that is why for most workouts i would say you should you should not go as hard as you can uh, of course the intensity guideline in itself also tells you that if uh, if you have a 20 minute effort and your goal is to do it in at 10k race pace or 10 mile race pace then obviously you're not a 20 minute 10k runner or 20 minute 10 mile runner nobody is so so you know already from that that it's not going to be an all-out effort but you could potentially design a workout to be all out by doing let's say uh, two times 20 minutes or four times 15 minutes at your 10k pace with some recovery and that could be basically uh, you could have to work as hard as you possibly can to to hit those targets uh, but i think that 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 is usually not what you should aim for the only type of workout where i think it does make sense to go very close to as hard as possible maybe not not quite to that level but quite close to it is when you do vo2 max efforts because for that type of training while i don't i wouldn't say that it's fully established and agreed upon but but there does seem to be some good indications that uh, there is some intensity threshold where you need to be quite close to maximum to achieve the desired adaptations so again you don't need to necessarily go all out for those types of efforts but you do need to be working pretty hard and and you shouldn't be too far from from that maximum so when when we talk about via 2 max efforts we're talking about let's say 5k race pace efforts and and faster so a typical workout would be 12 times 400 meters would be a, a perfect example with with one and a half minute recoveries or, or so one minute recoveries so to summarize know what the purpose of each session is and set some some guardrails for your pace heart rate and rpe uh, not just guardrails but just know what what you're going for are you going for an effort-based an rpe-based uh, prescription or are you going for a pace-based prescription when you're working with pace and heart rate especially make sure that you have a range not just a single number and then on the day you can adjust within that range based on how you feel because on some days that 20 minute tempo effort if you do it at at 10k race pace that might actually feel like an all-out effort but then that's a day maybe when you should say that okay i'm going to stick to 10 seconds per kilometer or 15 seconds per mile slower than my my 10k race pace to make it a good hard workout but not not an all-out effort so hopefully that clarifies some of the questions that you had and uh, yeah hopefully it helps good luck with your training
The next question is from Michael. It's not from myself. This is Michael in Australia who asks, I think it would be fun to hear you answer your own question. Uh, how would you describe your coaching philosophy today and how has it changed since you founded Scientific Triathlon? So uh, yeah, thank you, Michael, for that question. I'd be happy to, uh, or I'll try at least. It's uh, as you've heard me uh, acknowledge when I asked that question in interviews, I think it's probably one of the hardest questions to answer. I think that my coaching philosophy, or it, it blends into almost coaching methodology, so so it's may, maybe a bit hard to separate the two, but but really it's it's quite simple. Uh, it starts with a really good assessment of where the athlete is right now, where and where they want to go. So good goal alignment between the coach and the athlete, and understanding where the athlete is right now, and then trying to understand okay where do they need to be to training wise to complete a race distance or to achieve a certain race time or uh, performance goal that they have set for themselves so this is where we do a bit of a gap analysis i described this in some detail in last week's episode uh, the challenging part is not to do that specifically although that takes some time and requires quite a bit of detailed analysis but the challenging part is to figure out then how do you actually go from point A to point B. And that might be in multiple different areas. For example, you might need improvements in swimming and biking and running. So you have to have a really good understanding of uh, the athlete's profile and the athlete's constraints. So the athlete's constraints, by that I mean things like work, family, recovery, how much time do they have available to train and so on. And the athlete's profile, this is where I think a lot of self-coach athletes are really missing out in their analysis or it ends up being quite one-dimensional and basically boils down to just pure physiology what is your physiological profile so for example looking at things like your power duration curve and speed duration curve uh, are you strong over short versus long durations in the three disciplines don't get me wrong that part is essential and it is maybe maybe the most important part of the athlete profile uh, so and if you're doing that you're probably already ahead of most people uh, i would think but uh, but I think it's still missing a huge chunk of what an athlete's profile is. And for me, that includes things like the athlete's psychology and sources of motivation, the biomechanics and anatomy. So to give you an example here, a swimmer's body versus a runner's body, somebody who is very tall versus somebody who is quite short for, in terms of running volume, That those are things that will have a, a pretty big impact or could potentially have a big impact. Technical skills, training environment, equipment and ability to to purchase top class equipment personal beliefs about training this is a, a huge one as well and uh, and there are others but but those are some of the most important ones i would say so when we have an idea of the athlete's profile and uh, the athlete's constraints then i i would first have to assess if the goal that they have is realistic or if it's realistic within a certain time frame because i'm not somebody that would play along with what i perceive as unrealistic goals if i think that the goal that the athlete has is not possible to achieve in a given time frame then i will suggest that the goal should be adjusted to something more realistic so goal alignment is a critical part of my coaching philosophy i would say and this boils down to this all of this initial analysis that i talked about understanding the athlete's profile their constraints and the goals really really well so for any given goal and to get from point a to point b there might be 50 paths that could work within a population of triathletes but based on the individual athletes profile and constraints there might be a lot less than that i don't know maybe five five or less so what the training looks like 
is really dependent on on these factors and two athletes with the same point a and same goal point b but very different profiles and constraints will obviously have very different training and coaching and very different coaching doesn't mean just different training it means what is the focal point of where we can move the needle for the athlete because for some athletes they they might already have the fitness to achieve their goals but we need to work on things like pacing race hydration and nutrition uh, maybe some technical aspects like or aerodynamics on the bike those sorts of things that that are not necessarily just fitness related which is what we normally think about as the first the first thing we think about when it comes to training and and coaching but but for me that's an important factor that we're it's more like it's performance coaching it's not just fitness coaching or physiological coaching so so that's that's an example of uh, how what it can look like on on one extreme where an athlete already has has the fitness then the training is very straightforward obviously obviously you need to keep training but but your focus is on on other areas that can move the needle but then obviously for for a majority of athletes i would say there is a still a large focus on the physical components of training and improving fitness and physiology and uh and there it becomes a matrix of figuring out the overall workload that the athlete needs to respond well and to achieve their goals. But then what is that workload composed of? What what is the, the level of intensity? What is the what is the volume, the, the training volume? How how is that distributed across the, the disciplines? And this is where you look at the athlete's profile and constraints and, and you need to come to different a different solution based on based on all of those things and again not just the physiological profiles because i could give you some rules of thumb for that but but then it just depends on many other things as well like the environment the athlete has available to train in and their beliefs about training and and so on and so forth so i think that that's a good summary of my philosophy or methodology so uh, as you can hear there's nothing about polarized or pyramidal or high volume or low volume it, it really depends uh, i would say it's a it's a bit of an engineering inspired uh, or engineering informed approach it's similar to when i was in engineering one of my uh, responsibilities was to write user requirement specifications for medical devices and uh, and that's a bit the the systematic approach that i try to take to coaching as well uh, with uh, yeah some a process similar to to writing use requirement specifications for for a product but applying that to coaching of course now how has my philosophy changed since starting scientific triathlon so yeah a bit of background i started coaching full-time in 2017 scientific triathlon has actually been around a bit longer than that but but let's use october 2017 as the as the benchmark because uh, obviously starting to work full-time in coaching is something that really accelerates your your learning in in whatever it is that you're doing i would say that uh, my coaching philosophy has grown to become a lot more informed by areas outside of just the physical training and the physiology since then so i've learned about how things like psychology beliefs uh, enjoyment and so on can impact training outcomes and i've uh, learned about how communication and different styles of communication between the coach and the athlete based on their personalities and so on how that also can impact training outcomes and that's actually one of the clearest example of if i could go back to 2017 and and do a much better job today uh, than, than i did in 2017 is working with athletes that had a quite different personality type than i did and and i wasn't ver very good at communicating with them and uh, they weren't good at communicating with me but this uh, but today i I kind of know how to how to do that uh working with 
with very different types of athletes with very different personalities from very different cultures and so on so so that's something that has improved ma- uh, massively and and i think that that is something that i have integrated in my coaching philosophy and uh and that yeah that's been probably the the biggest changes i would say uh areas outside of physical training and their impact on training outcomes and that is integrated into the coaching philosophy and methodology as a yeah as a core core part of it I have, of course, made changes to the training process itself as well. I used to prescribe a bit more intensity in the early days than I do now. Uh, Not a massive change, but um, yeah, some change there. I definitely now use more and more RPE as a primary guide to intensity and and often the only guide to intensity more than I used to do. And one more thing I think is that I... I have a lot more experience to see when an athlete is essentially limited by volume and that is almost the only thing that we can do to uh, to go to the next level and uh, yeah, be able to tell an athlete that I think that that's the case. Uh, I think that in the early days, first of all, I didn't have the experience to see that, but also I maybe wouldn't have had the courage to say so because then I thought that the athlete might stop working with me and I would not be able to pay my bills. So uh, I think that's a yeah that's a summary of a lot of thi- a f- few things that I think are important that have changed. I I'm conscious that maybe not all of them are could be classified as coaching philosophy, but almost like just information or things that I've how I think about certain things. But but I, I think it gives you a, a good idea and and it answers the gist of the question hopefully at least and and if not uh, i'll just try to do it better another time i did spend quite some time on this but and i didn't really get satisfied with my answer but yeah this is my deadline day to to finish the podcast episode so i just need to be happy with it and record it and and move on with with my life i also think that you can probably hear at this point by the way speaking of it being deadline day that i am still recovering from some sickness and i can hear my voice is not really handling talking for a long time that well so apologies for that but hopefully i'll i'll manage until until the end of this episode with quite a few breaks and uh, and drinking lots of water but anyway moving on michael has a part two to his question which is how have your views of the role of science in coaching changed and would you still name your business scientific triathlon so basically i think that science cannot teach you the most important things in coaching which is how to make the right big picture decisions and planning for and with your athlete but it can help you with more detailed zoomed in questions and problems for me for example i use science a lot in certain areas like heat training and specific design of high intensity intervals but i don't use it for bigger picture things like periodization deciding on the balance of volume and intensity etc that's all driven by coaching experience and my own application of a systematic process which is based on uh, the scientific method uh, in each individual case applied of course not not a peer-reviewed scientific method but when making those big picture decisions basically i think it's important as a coach that you you do that while critically evaluating your own process and questioning your own biases because that's the way that you can improve your coaching the most and and the quickest so i do not think that it's scientific to try to prescribe all training based on things that you find in academic papers and so on because then if you do that you don't have a grasp on the limitations of the science and and how uh, how little we actually know and also how applicable that is to the individual in front of you 
the job of a scientist is to ask questions and uh, make observations and design experiments and, and use a priori information, of course, to, to have good hypotheses for what might work and so on. So that's where science comes in. It's, it can be good a priori information, but uh, it's not necessarily going to give you a straight answer for, for any single athlete. So have my views of the role of science in coaching changed? Um, I don't think they've changed so much as they've evolved to be just me, for me to see that science is a little bit less actionable over the years, uh, not less important at all, because you need. Uh, I, I think it's super important to know as much science as you possibly can, because that is very important, as I said, a priori information that is super useful as a coach. But the more you learn about the limitations uh, and where you can and cannot rely on on science, the more you understand that there are quite few areas where where you actually really can directly apply something from from a paper. I think to to train to a training plan, let's say. So so it has become a bit less actionable, and and I think it has. I think science can more often help you to decide what not to do in training than what to do because it's easier to get strong a strong evidence base to show that something does not work than to show that something works. That's how the scientific method is set up. You're trying to disprove hypotheses. You're you're not trying to prove hypotheses. But the more you cannot disprove hypotheses, then of course the the stronger that that hypothesis becomes. So practically, I would say that uh, the way that things have changed a bit is that there are fewer scenarios now where I would go directly to science in search for some answers to a particular question. And uh, this is because, as I said, I know more about the limitations of uh, uh, different areas of science, but also with more and more coaching knowledge and experience, which is more valuable and actionable than than any knowledge, academic knowledge, uh, then I don't need to look to science as much as directly to my coaching knowledge and experience. Science still, as I said, is super important in in forming hypotheses and testing them out and and then using observations from coaching to to acquire more coaching experience. Uh, But uh, yeah, what hasn't changed, as I said, is my views that of the the importance of having the mindset of a scientist and uh, not a rogue scientist, because there are a lot of rogue scientists that are well-known on social media these days, probably the most well-known ones, because they have super strong strong opinions about something a scientist in the true definition of the word or i don't know to me at least a scientist is somebody that observes formulates hypotheses experiments updates their prior knowledge based on new evidence and is always curious and open-minded so i think that that's the most important thing about science and uh, that hasn't changed uh, at all uh, if anything i think it's even more important and and i try to be a, even more like systematic about how how i apply a scientist's mindset in my coaching than i than i used to be i would also recommend and going to Paulo Sosa's Instagram, he wrote actually the day after I had written my original script for this podcast, but before recording it, uh, he wrote a post about the science in coaching, and it was super good and so topical. I'm not going to read it out loud. I was thinking about doing it, but I'll just link to the post in the episode description. Uh, Paulo Sosa, as you know, has been on the podcast before, and he's one of the greatest coaches in the world, and uh, focuses mostly on short course triathlon, and has one of the most successful squad in in the game. So definitely go and check out that post that he he wrote really well about this topic the second part of your question of part two of your question i guess was would i still name the business scientific triathlon 
So to be honest there, that is an interesting question that I have pondered a few times. Uh, Scientific triathlon is a name that I thought about for a whole of 10 seconds, (laughs) more or less, and found that the domain was available. So it wasn't a very thought-through name at all. Uh, But uh, the name doesn't come from any kind of notion that all training and coaching should be based on academic papers or knowledge from from that. It comes from what I said before, from applying the concepts of a scientist's mindset or from the concepts of the scientific method in a training and coaching context. So it's about being curious, open-minded and systematic observing experimenting and updating your prior knowledge uh, so I'm, i am going to read a bit from the wikipedia page about the scientific method uh, for those that are maybe uh, not so familiar so it says that the scientific method involves careful observation applying rigorous skepticism about what is observed given that cognitive assumptions can distort how one interprets the observation it involves formulating hypotheses via induction based on such observations the testability of hypotheses experimental and the measurement based statistical testing of deductions drawn from the hypothesis and refinement or elimination of the hypothesis based on the experimental findings these are principles of the scientific method as distinguished distinguished from a a definitive series of steps applicable to all scientific enterprises so obviously not all of those parts can be fully applied in coaching practice like you will never be able to do rigorous statistical testing on an n equals one experiment and every athlete is an n equals one experiment but largely those concepts fit in very well with how i view coaching even though i didn't necessarily use all of those terms but i'm fully on board with with them with the need to formulate hypotheses conduct careful observations apply skepticism being aware of cognitive biases refining and uh, or eliminating uh, hypotheses and and so on so whether i would still name the business scientific triathlon i really don't know probably not i would probably consult a branding expert uh, if i started again and had the resources and they would probably come up with something great but that said uh, the name still works very well with the core values and principles of of the business so i'm not looking to change it and uh, and i'm happy enough with it uh, now, qu- part number three of Michael's question is, what are you currently exploring or interested in exploring that might lead your coaching methodology to further evolve? So, yeah, th- this is a great question. I think it's clear from my previous answers that I have a huge interest in psychology and communication. And I think that uh, yeah, this, these are areas that I'm exploring and that there's a lot more that I want to explore in these areas that could drive further improvements in my coaching. And uh, I would even consider going and getting a degree in in one of those areas. I think it's that important. But in the meantime, that's where I do most of my reading and learning at the moment. Uh, there are lots of other things that I would consider doing and that I think would, would help me improve as a coach. And uh, I, I would say that learning more anatomy and physiotherapy is probably number two on my list. And number three is probably uh, bike fitting. Number four would be to spend a ton of time on pool deck with top swimmers and top swimming coaches. And number five would probably be to coach kids, which I think would be very fun and rewarding and educational. So yeah, that's just a bit of a wish list for uh, things that I they might go on to to add to my CV potentially in the future. Thank you for your question, Michael. So I had several more questions lined up for this episode, but I think I'm going to cut it there because my voice is not doing so good after talking continuously so uh, i am going to record another q a not next week next week will be an episode with jem arnold which i highly recommend you tune in for but uh, in the next few weeks there will be another q a for sure 
with uh, some of the other questions that have been sent in but i hope you enjoyed this one even though it was a bit shorter it was the best i could do i waited as many days as i could for the sickness to subside but but this is my deadline day and uh yeah i'm still not not really capable of talking continuously for such a long time you can as always of course find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and uh, remember that, uh, as I said at the beginning of the episode, we ha- now have one room available due to cancellation for our Mallorca training camp. And it is for a minimum occupancy of two people. I should mention as well that you can also come with uh, a friend or with your spouse or partner, even if uh, they are not participating in the training. So only one person needs to be participating in the training camp itself, as long as uh, there are two people occupying the room. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelhydration.com. If you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel hydration planner or even a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy. And don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to Form that you can find on forumswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace, jerk rate and heart rate, and advanced post-swim analysis. And use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim goggles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.